Well, Jackie Bartling is here right across from me. I'm Peter Bales. This is Stand Up Memories. Did I ever tell you my story about <laughs> Olivia Newton-John? I, I figure we can repeat the story because we're wearing different shirts. <laughs> I got to tell you, I love that story. I repeated it, and I'm not going to forget her. it. I love it. You know what? It's funny because for whatever reason, people's names have been coming up along the way, and this guy's name came up. I forget who I was, I was talking to somebody about the old times and blah, 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 and Catch a Rising Star. Do you remember Richie Gerstein? I do. There's a blast he became from the past. Richard T. Bear. Okay? Richard T. Bear. And he was on a regular at Catch a Rising Star the he first was. times I ever waited online. I think even just when I went there to see what's going on. And he used to, if I'm crazy, he wrote a song that was a hit. For Olivia Newton-John. Did he? And he would bitch about, oh, that dumb broad hasn't got the soul of a piece of white bread. Meanwhile, that's, I think that's his only claim to fame is that he, I, <laughs> not you light up my life because that's not her, but a song, you know, a, a nice, I'm sure we could look at Richie Gerstein. Yeah, he did Honky Tonk. I think that's the best. He, Hard driving he, he piano. He wailed on the piano and he right. was great and uh, I guess didn't get too far. Well, you know who got very far from working out at Catch a Rising Star on the Upper East Side? Pat Benatar started there, and she was one of the music acts. She was a music act and also waitress and became Rick Newman's girlfriend. She was a waitress? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. You know who's very, very close friends with her to this day is John DeBellis. Really? Not to John DeBella, John DeBellis. Her and her husband, who I think is still her guitar player, yeah, and she was, wow. I think she well, was Rick, and became Rick Newman's girlfriend. And, and he, he and became she, her manager. Oh, yeah, yeah what they, a, oh, she was wonderful. Little inside info. Little, and I, I don't even know if I ever met her. I, I don't think she was ever on the Stern Show, in fact. But I just know that from being friends with John DeBellis 40 years after the fact from the infamous Joey Reynolds show. Which was oh, that was so, a fun show. You yeah. know, you mentioned John DeBellis, and I was going to ask you, about times when you were on stage when things went wrong. Uh, I Have you ever been, I've been on stage when a fight has broken out. Has that ever happened when you were on stage? My band was on stage in Lincoln Park, Detroit when the motorcycle guys had discovered LSD in 1971. <laughs> and there's a brawl and the owner told us keep playing. We were playing Gimme Shelter by the Rolling Stones. These guys are beating the hell out of each other. We're singing, war, <laughs> sister. It's, you know, um, didn't we have the, and, and one time the, we blew a fuse and uh, at Sand City, which is now, you know, the, the shipwreck inn in Bayville. And it was a crawl space at, back in those days underneath, like in the sand. Oh. And we went underneath yeah, and the think, owner yeah, to fix we, the fuse. Oh. And we're like, God, it sounds like a brawl up there. And we went back up and they said, oh, man, it was a brawl. <laughs> I, you know, the power goes out. What do I don't, you do? Th I I mean, don't think I've ever been on stage and seen actual fight. Have you seen that? Oh, I've, I've seen it. Yes, I've seen it at Catch a Rising Star, as a matter of fact. Um, I, like a mobster or a drunk? or Well, a I'm not sure if I have told this story before. Nicole will never stop me. But uh, I was a Catch a Rising Star when Jerry Seinfeld was on stage. 
and it was late, and he's working up there, doing well. But the, some people had left already. And uh, so it's half a room that he's working to, and they're into it. And then there was only one table kind of on a raised area in the other half. And they're talking and ignoring Jerry. And Jerry, <laughs> in his way, did I tell this on? Yeah. I told this on the show? Right. <laughs> keep going. You can't do that I can't, to I got to stop. You know, you got to keep I, going. I can't believe it. You have to throw something at no, me. No, she didn't know it. So, you know, go ahead. Okay. Well, a glass. He, he told that table to be quiet and kind of not in a nice way. And they're over here. He's ignoring yeah, them. And he's, he's talking to the bulb. And, and, and the glass didn't miss him by that much. And Jerry handled it. He you know, dropped the mic and he, and he stands there waiting for the bouncer to throw this guy out. And the bouncer walked over to that table, talked to them for about 20 seconds, walked over to the stage and said, Jerry, I'm sorry you have to leave now. And oh, they escorted oh. Jerry out because it was a mob connected uh, table that you couldn't throw out even though they threw a glass and almost hit a comedian. And, and that's uh, the business you everybody chose. Everybody was, that's the business I chose. But I remember John DeBellis waiting to go on next, going, I'm getting out of here and leaving the club. <laughs> uh, I'm sure <coughs> I talked to him. He's in Nicaragua, but we speak here and there. And uh, I'm Catch sure. has, has a club in Nicaragua? <laughs> no, John has like, a, I think he owns about half of it. Uh, he did really well, but he's a great, great character. You know whose best friend was? back then and still to this day is uh, Larry, Larry David. Larry David. You know, they went to all the Yankee games together and all that when that, you know, when neither of them was doing well, you know. But um, so that, that was a, the Beatles thing. I'm so glad that that caught on to you. I don't know if that oh, was this I love week it. or last week, I, but. I love it. So, <clears throat> so I've been uh, delving into, uh, I'm from East Norwich, which is on the North Shore of Long Island. Uh, 40 minutes out from the city, whatever, just north of Oyster Bay. And East Norwich and Oyster Bay are very close. And I've become very good friends with the town historian of Mutton Town, which is a tiny little chunk. Call it a hamlet. Right. And the guy freaked out when I told him what's now the Mutton Town Preserve in East Norwich was my great-great-grandfather's farm in 1850. So the guy freaked out about that. So we've been going over stuff. And... My cousin John Hammond is the town historian of Oyster Bay. So we went over the other, the other day and we're, these guys are in heaven talking about this old stuff. East Norwich is a little tiny town and it's an old crossroads. Uh, Rothman's Steakhouse is there, but Rothman's has been there forever because 25A or Northern Boulevard goes this way and Route 106 goes this way. Right. So even when they were Indian paths, that was a crossway. Right. So there, were, there was always a meeting place of some kind. And the first church in East Norwich is just south of 25A on Route 106, but across the street from where the little church is now. The little church that's there now, the cornerstone, was laid by Theodore Roosevelt in 1900 when he was vice president. Because the other church across the street had burnt down. And that's why all the old graves with all the old martlings are up there because the church was there before it burned down. The church was built by Walt Whitman. 
Now well, the Long Island's Long Island's No, hey, hold own. on. That's not the punchline. So when they found out years later, they were all excited about the history of wow, the church was built by Walt Whitman. But it wasn't the Walt Whitman you're thinking of. A different Walt Whitman? It was his father. Oh. Walt Whitman's father's hmm. name was Walt Whitman. And while his father was building the church, Walt was teaching school in East Norwich in the one-room schoolhouse. I mean, how could you grow up in East Norwich and have them not share that, you know, I was jealous. How come they get the mall in Huntington? How come right, they get, right, you right. know. Of course, it was years ago. I'm, I know I had no idea who Walt Whitman, I knew what the I knew what the mall was long before I knew who Walt Whitman, you know, leaves the grass my ass, maybe it's, help, maybe it's getting Clinton laid, but it wasn't helping me. But uh, I you, thought that was so that's interesting. That's an amazing story. Now, do you, you're talking about the crossroads, and that's where East Norwich was. Did the widening of 25A, Northern Boulevard, cut the soul out of just rip the soul out of it because they you know they when I was a kid I would walk south on 106 which is Oyster Bay Road and then over 25A and go to the little tiny school there yeah and walking south on Route 106 the maple trees it was a tunnel ah it was a little dirt road I got a picture I, you know I'll even send it we could post it uh, I have a picture of that little white original church and there's like a country lane in front know, of it and it's know, route 106 I know, I know it looks like a, not a dirt path but it's a little tiny thing and but when they widened it they went both ways and took all the maple trees and I all know. the heart and soul and oh it was just like when i was you should see the pictures like the, there's pictures throughout the years of the little general store and rothman's oh. and you know, it was... Well, I mean, you can't stop the change. You no, can't, no, 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 no. We're lucky we didn't get the cloverleaf. We're lucky we didn't get the big bridge. bridge. When I was a kid, uh, until, my, until I was like 18, the only person that ever, ever cut my hair was Sam the Barber, who uh, had a little barber shop in East Norwich, and both of his sons grew up to be barbers. And where Sam's barbershop was is now a rub and tug. It's, it, it's <laughs> really? the healing spa. Okay. But it's funny because Sam's kids, as they got, got older, well, Sam's barbershop, when I was a little kid, the back of the barbershop, the mailboxes were there. Like the boxes for the East, you, know, you went to <laughs> Sam's barbershop to go get your mail. At, there was no delivery, you know. And his kids, Grew up to be barbers, but by the end of the 60s, nobody was getting their <laughs> haircut. Yeah. So these guys started the East North Cesspool Service. So one day they're cutting your hair, and the next day <laughs> they're doing your cesspool. I'm like, guys, I, I hope you guys are washing your hands <laughs> in, in between. It's so hysterical. I uh, see. That's a microcosm of what happened to Long Island. It used to be small towns. Oh, it was a big deal. Hey, we're getting a, a barbershop. We're getting a post office. We're getting a post office. And you know. farms. You're talking, it was, that was your grandfather's farm? Great. Great grandfather's. My great, great grandfather. There used to be Long Island potatoes everywhere, even into Queens. No, 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 but that's as far in as Queens. I, I, I discovered under my father's bed, I found all these things. Letters from Edith Roosevelt, Death of Roosevelt Derby. I found a thing called a pickle contract, 
which was between my great-grandfather, John Koga Marling, the first one, and then it skipped a generation to my grandfather, and then my father was John Koga Marling, so I'm John Koga Marling Jr., but I'm actually the third one. But the two of them were sons of Vincent, who had this big farm in 1850, and they had a pickle contract. I, this, I guess we, I think I found this out since we had this last uh, taping. Pickles were, cucumbers were an easy fallback crop because it was hard to kill them. So a lot of people grew pickles or grew cucumbers because you could make money. It was a very, very popular crop in the late 1800s. And there were places that, that uh, what do you do to pickles? Distill them, whatever you do. You put them you, in you brine. Them, right. And, and those places were next to the railroads in Syosset, and in Hicksville, the places where you brought the pickle, brought the cucumbers there, and it was a huge business. And this pickle contract actually says, you know, they they bring the cucumbers by the barrel, and they'd pick a few at random to, to test them, and people made a lot of money. And the reason, because it was such a huge demand for pickles, because the amount of German immigrants in the 1890s and 1900s wow. became immense. But then all of a sudden, refrigeration came. So they didn't need all those. And then all of a sudden, like in 1910, bye-bye pickles, hello potatoes. Oh, I always thought potatoes had always been the Long Island thing, and potatoes didn't take hold until 1910. So, how phenomenal is now that Now, you know this. It's got not, let, it doesn't have a lot to do with let's, comedy. Let's tell our audience, this is before the highways came out to Long Island. It was farms and small towns, no Long Island Expressway, no Northern State Parkway, and the old single-lane roads each way, um, Jericho Turnpike and 25A, they wanted to keep the masses from coming out and spoiling. Right, so the rich people made sure right. that the roads were in bad repair. Now, That's a Robert Moses thing. Yes. That, uh, and Potholes. and Potholes. They did it deliberately. They say it would take four hours to drive out on 25A so that people would just stop. And give and up. picnic on the side right, of the road. Right. And give up trying to get to a North Shore beach. Uh, but, you know, so the farms went all the way into Queens. And during both world wars, Germany with their submarines called U-boats in the first war, um, used to surface in places like Little Neck Bay and at night paddle to shore. They would dress in business suits and looking like everybody else, they would go to the nearest Long Island Railroad station, take the train into Manhattan, shop for food and supplies, maybe some new clothes at Macy's, go back out, wait till it gets dark and paddle out to their submarine after shopping in Manhattan. That is it. Now, did you just make that no, up? No, I did not make that up. And the farmers used to get up in the morning and walk out and look at their crops and go, oh, those raccoons. Wait, ah, wait. The what Germans were there. The Germans were here. Ah, you know? That's so Absolutely great. true. And My grandfather had a huge farm until the day they came to him and said, we're taking the farm, eminent domain. His farm was right where they're going to put the Long Island Expressway. In yeah, Mineola. and the small farmers couldn't fight it. The rich guys had a little bit more success, which but, is but why... But not a lot. Not a lot, but th that, that two-mile detour of the Northern State Parkway. But that uh, wasn't due to farms. That was due to uh, their huge, monstrous estates. And, 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 and having and buying off some New York right. State legislation. Because it's like all of a sudden you're riding along like, 
Yeah, Why is way it out that? of the way. Yeah. It's just. Um, and and they put in the Cold Spring Harbor. Did you tell me this? They put in the Cold Spring Harbor Railroad Depot so they could bring the pieces of Otto Kahn's castle so he could build the Ohika Castle. Oh, I love that. No, I didn't tell you that. That's they, great. They, that's why that, because originally, I don't know if you remember, not, not now, because now it's as crowded as any of them, but it used to be like a whistle stop. Like, <laughs> who the hell goes here? You know? <laughs> it's just fascinating. The Glen Street Station, right after the Glen Cove Station on that Long Island Railroad line, was built by J.P. Morgan for J.P. Morgan so he could come out from work in the city and walk directly to the first tee. I, I always entire, wondered about because that's so in the middle of so nowhere. so close. It's in the middle of nowhere. And, but he could walk to the first tee at uh, Nassau Country Club. Uh, amazing what the, my, what my the rich buddy, people uh, could get my, away my with. My buddy lives on J.P. Morgan's, a, a hunk of J.P. Morgan's old estate, and he thought... They finally sold, you know, the generations. It's weird how it works because the old money, the, the family left all the money to the firstborn son. The girls got nothing because it was on them to marry somebody of, of good station. And then so the money, so you could be, the, the, the friend that my friend, I don't want to say names, had, his, his friend, his mother was, a Morgan, a J.P. Morgan, but she was a girl, so she was married to a guy who was very well off, but not J.P. Morgan. Man. And yeah. he just found out that the place where he's staying, they sold it, and the gazillionaire that bought it locked horns with him in a good way, and they're I in love, love and he doesn't have to leave. And like, uh, so he's got this station, you know. And giving all your money to the eldest son is called primogeniture. Is that the name and of that? That's what it's called, and it dates back to medieval times. And when we hit the age of exploration in the 1500s, the guys who risked their life to discover new lands were second, third, and fourth sons because they had... They somebody could, had to mine the store and the yeah, money. Yeah, somebody had to stay home and be the, the duke of whatever. Don't feel sorry for these rich kids, but they a lot of them said, I'm going... I'm risking my life to make my own name and my own fortune. So all all these explorers, what were, what were they, second, third, what fourth were they drinking? sons, <laughs> they could have stayed on the estate. But you know, the you know there was a lot of jealousy about the eldest son who got everything—the title, the money, and the fact that that carried to parts my of father, America. You know he, my father gave me crabs. <laughs> we're going to take a short break for about a week, <laughs> and in the interim. I think I saw a signal. I'm not sure. <laughs> I guess I saw a signal. We'll be back with a story about Olivia Newton-John that I know you're going to like. I'm going to tell that story every week until I get a positive How reaction. Great. So you didn't know Walt Whitman. I didn't know about the submarines. I loved it. Well, do I you, have heard of Walt Whitman. Do you know the, I, the Longfellow story? Longfellow? The guy who told me that died, and he was so wealthy and so, you know what, I'm going to save it because it's a long story. And this is, I know this is supposed to be a comedy podcast, and we talk about old-time comedy and good stuff and the Stern Show and all that. But if, if you're a Long Island, not even a Long Island person, because it, this all, is it all came from New York, so or a lot of it came. So if you're interested in that stuff at all, and the great thing now is the Google, because it can sound like we're making everything up, 
and and it's there in the, if you know how to Google. I don't know how to Google. <laughs> uh, no, I can Google. I can Google. We'll be back with Longfellow, and it's not a penis joke. Good. Okay. I'm no poet, but my dick is a Longfellow. Remember that one? <laughs> we'll be back next week. <laughs> hey, a new episode of Stand Up Memories every Wednesday. How exciting is that? It's starring me, Peter Bales, and right here, Jackie the Joke Man Martin. Please follow us on social media. Search it out. What is it? MeSpace? MySpace? Your space? TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Do da, do da. <laughs> <laughs>